0: On Maynard.com.au. AU! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just hanging around, having a wine with Continental Robert Seuss. And this man has been one of the groovers and movers on the Australian and certainly the Sydney music scene for many years. I'm saying dating back to the early 80s, but I'm sure he's going to bring up some time before that. We're in the Seussland apartment. This is where the musical magic happens here, overlooking the cross. Continental Robert Seuss, Welcome. Welcome you, Maynard. I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> yeah, where exactly are we? Explain what this room well, is.
1: This is a lounge room and it's got lots of junk around, musical instruments. My flatmate plays keyboards, ukuleles, <laughs> guitars, whatever she can get her hands on. I can play a bit of piano only to try and come up with some tunes but mainly <laughs> harmonica.
0: On an average night, what times does music get cooking here? Is it early just after the news is on or is it late after the uh, midnight hour?
1: Well, here, you know, the walls are pretty thin. I have occasionally had a rehearsal here after, which ended with heavy banging on the doors. So I tried not to make too much loud music except
0: in the daytimes, which is not really good for me because I don't come alive. I was warned that he's not really an early riser, so don't really think of talking to him until at least three in the afternoon. Now,
1: I'm not a morning person. I'm not even an early afternoon person. Mind. Usually after 3.30, I'm quite almost intelligible. Could you explain what you've actually done over the years? My most famous band was the Dynamic Hypnotics. Our biggest hit was in a 1984, 85, which was called Soul Kind of Feeling, and that was apparently the biggest selling Australian produced single of that time.
2: It's just a soul and It's just a soul feeling, a sounding kind of sweet. Not talking about religion, no. Not talking about fashion, no. Not talking about money, no. Not talking about...
0: Let's get to a bit of controversy first of all. Where is the intersection of Dave Ray, Tony Sinatra, Frank Bennett? Well, I- his intersection with the dynamic hypnotics? Was he actually just playing the sax in a film clip with you or did he actually play some sax with you? I'm
1: sure he's played sax with us on the odd occasion, but our main sax player was Bruce Allen, who was a long-time, me and him with a horn section. For special shows, we got a proper horn section. Yeah,
0: because you can sing all the time, man. Yeah,
1: I sing. Most of the horn lines were between the singing. I heard these old live recordings. It's amazing how it sounds like a proper horn section. But... <laughs> Back to your question, Dave Ray, he just ham it up in our soul kind of feeling mm.
0: video. He had the frunky sunglasses yeah. on. He's just like that still. We've actually got some questions for you on Facebook. A lot of my friends on Facebook are your friends on Facebook, and I think collectively our friends like taking the piss a bit. One of the most collective questions they wanted me to ask you, Connell right. Robert Seuss, was, how's it feel to be a millionaire? I think it's a good feeling. I hope to feel it pretty soon. (laughs) Is it funny when people bump into you and because they've heard your song on the radio a couple of times, they think that automatically translates into lots of cash?
1: Yeah, it is funny. Something did happen to me. Uh, one and only overseas trip was to New Zealand. Wow. And I still like to, for exercise, go swimming in the local pools wherever I was. And I found one in Auckland. I found a bus that went to the city where the fool was. And I was at the bus stop. That hit was huge in New Zealand too. Soul kind of feeling. And this young uh, Maori guy came up to me. Hey, man. You're cutting kind of in the
0: road. What are you doing at the bus stop? He thought that a limousine <laughs> should be coming to get me. How long have you been living in the cross? Have you been a native of the cross for many decades? Yeah, probably since the beginning of the
1: '80s. I lived around here in Darlinghurst near St. Vincent's Hospital. I had to move out of there because people kept robbing me through the front room of a terrace house, which was the only terrace house in the little building that didn't have any bars on the oh. window. I remember once my wallet was gone when I woke up and I couldn't believe it, I searched for it for four hours but then a couple of days later I was in bed, sort of asleep, you know, 10am or something <laughs> and this hand comes through the window Oh, no, it must have been early because it was a torch with the torch looking around. Oh, hey! And this guy just ran for it, you know. So wow. he was obviously the same guy. Here. So it was a hot summer night. You really had to keep your window shut. You to- yeah, oh. even if you're there, they don't care. Yeah, must have been late 70s, early 80s when I moved into the area.
0: You'd certainly know the change in the cross now where it's basically a ghost town on a Friday, Saturday night now because the lockout laws.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. It's a ghost town for live music these days, but even before the lockout laws I reckon once they brought back all the poker machines and things but it was like the 70s again when I first started <laughs> when it was hard to get a live gig because it was all discos and DJs. What year was your first live gig? Probably in 1970s something like that when I was still at school. It was at St Charles Hall in Waverley. It was a surfies dance. It was run by the nuns. We got 50 bucks For the whole band was quite good. Ten bucks each. um, These days, the whole band might get fifty (laughs) bucks. You're not wrong there. It's gone back down that way again. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, felt like the big time because the week before it was Hush playing that same gig, so they would have got fifty bucks as well.
0: If you feel in society in general and in Australia, particularly this time, artists are not valued as much as they should be because if you had been working as a lawyer or as a doctor or anything else that requires some sort of training, that you'd probably be earning a bit more money now probably i guess uh, i wouldn't trust
1: myself as a doctor for, or a lawyer for anyone yeah,
0: yeah. look uh, we've got the surgeon coming in he's called continental robert dr continental robert although that does have a nice sound to it i've got to say <laughs> dr seuss why the name continental were you really into tectonic plate movement as a child what's the well, continental thing all about I made it up myself. I thought, well, I was born in Hungary, even though I
1: came here you know, two years old, and I thought, you know, you need some sort of title in showbiz to make you sound out of the ordinary, so I thought, A Continental Robert, that sounds pretty classy. I call myself Continental Robert, sort of half-jokingly, but it stuck. And I'm still
0: continental, Robert. I've seen you around. I've always wanted to talk to you for a while. We've never had really long conversations, but I've often bumped into you at gigs, nightclubs, at little watering holes late at night. It's like you're a permanent fixture of the area, and I quite like that. Yeah,
1: I've been probably to every nightclub every night, especially in the 80s, back in the heyday. Mm because I remember there was the Mansell Room oh yeah it was a, like a crazy fantastic uh, and place and what was
0: that band hang that was just down the cor- round the corner down there as you went? there I was, was a Street. Cardoma Cafe it was more of a muso's one that was Benny's Benny's was a band hang everybody and the Duran Duran very famous for some of the things they did there but that's only Duran Duran I'm sure every band was famous for things they did there
1: I love that because they had the little door with the yeah. look through the little viewer to see who you are and then consider the, whether they're going to let you in or not they didn't just sell drinks
0: there i know that uh, in your decades of going out what do you reckon's the best nightclub consistently you used to go to i would say for the mansel room just because it was such a weird combination of and humans there were regulars that went there uh, that were really into live bands of course you had your natural groupie set but there'd be people that just love live music mm. but also because they had different bands all the time oh, it's a sousaphone.
1: someone's going to offer me a million dollars about I, time i better show you. I shut her
0: off. In the mans room, the man's room you would get the people who were coming there for the particular bands as well. so yeah. you'd get quite a mix of people. I went there a couple of times and it was always a wild time.
1: It was because even though the rock and roll music people would come there because the gig would only start like midnight there. You'd finish your gig at maybe midnight or 1.30 and go there and watch the music till 4am. Plus there was the, all the local King's Cross identities like the strippers and the hookers yeah. and probably drug dealers too. And, and plus some suburban people would come in for the mm. at the weekend and so they were all mixed together.
0: Well, there didn't seem to be ever any trouble there. The Piccadilly Hotel was a place there for a while in the late 80s, early 90s, and now they've sold it for shopping development. If you can't make a go of a pub in the cross, what's wrong with the world? Yeah. And I remember seeing you there. Yes, because Mad Club was on Monday. Yeah. Someone like yourself, if you wanted a slightly quieter night on a Monday, you'd just go out to somewhere till three and go home and touch early. Eight. <laughs> I don't think it was that quiet, but it was a great night, and we used to play there a lot. That was in the Mighty Reapers later on. That Someone's phoning a friend there. I'm sure there's a million dollars going somewhere.
1: That's it. My present drummer, and i better shut this.
0: He's probably <laughs> wondering about a gig or something like that. Well, drummers are always wondering about gigs. It's <laughs> either a drummer or a trombone player. <laughs> One of the reasons I'm here is you've got some live gigs coming up, but also you've uh, got a greatest hits and a few live tracks mixed out on a CD, which I've got to say, it's great to hear those songs again in that quality. Where the live ones come from? Were they from a live album you did or are they recordings never previously released? Both. Some of them were uh, from a live album we
1: did because at that time we were with Mushroom, White Label. We had a two-single deal. The second single which became the huge hit, but we needed an album to go with it. But we were on the road non-stop for six nights a week did we never had a chance to go in the studio until for for a month later. One day, uh, I think it was Michael Godinski, rang up and said, "Ah, oh, you guys want to come and play a gig in Melbourne? And it was a support
0: spot for Richard Clapton who... He was always at Benny's, actually. I yeah. The only other person I think I've seen out as much as you is Richard Clapton. Right. It could be the sunglasses thing, but I reckon he, he might just beat you a little bit in the more times I've seen him. Both of you always at the back. You're never making the scene. You're just kind of there. That's right. And looking
1: looking, <laughs> looking cool. I'm trying all the time. But anyway, the whole reason was because it was being simulcast, this Richard Clapton gig in this big Melbourne nightclub. So all the recording gear and Video cameras and everything was there, so we could record a live album, and that was our live album, a support gig for Richard Clapton.
0: (laughs) And um, (laughs) um, a live album sometimes has trouble capturing the live sound. Were you happy with what you got? Not that, because we were a support band, we didn't even get a
1: sound checker. You know, usually, you know, they run out of time, and we got up and we went jang, 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 played a few, and that was more like a warning of what it was going to sound like. (laughs) But amazingly, it came out well. All right, everybody,
2: this is the first single that the dynamic and nice have ever released and it made us the famous pop star we are today. The hip note. two.
1: broke out under the stage. Back then, I think you could smoke back then. on the. You could smoke, you could do all sorts of things in nightclubs. And I think there was all these streamers stored under the stage and someone must have thrown a cigarette, but at the time I could breathe all this smoke coming up and thinking, oh, man, bloody smoke machine's
0: killing me. And then I realised only later that it was really a fire. It wasn't a smoke machine at all. In the early 80s, it was actually compulsory to smoke when you went to a nightclub or pub. (laughs) You'd come through the door and someone would offer you a cigarette and even if you didn't smoke, you'd just be polite and you'd have it. Then all the smokers that you wanted to talk to, unlike now, they're usually outside and you've actually got to take up smoking to meet them. You could meet (laughs) those smokers inside the venue much earlier. It was much more convenient. And, of course, cigarettes were only, I think they were only two cents each back then too. Well, I never really smoked. You've got the happening voice there. Has there ever been a threat to the voice over the years? Six nights a week belting it out, even if you didn't smoke, that's going to...
1: Mainly if i got a flu or something like that. I used to wish with a soul kind of feeling, which was what everyone wanted to hear, didn't have all that falsetto singing in it. Because that's the first thing that would go if you, you know... So I remember I'd wake up
0: every day and go... Uh, to see if I had any falsetto there. Another thing in which radio listeners get a bit shortchanged in is certainly radio play's sold kind of feeling, but they never really jumped onto the follow-ups that certainly had as much groove. Beat was the first
1: oh, single. Right. Actually, it got released overseas too. It got on like a Spanish disco album and things <laughs> like that, which we never got any dough from. It was through some shonky record company. What, oh, <laughs> a
0: shonky record <laughs> label? Who could believe that? What was it like working with Michael Kaczynski, being on his record label. Fine. Didn't really meet him that much because I hardly ever even
1: went into the record company. We had a tape lease deal too, which meant we had to produce the master recordings and they just manufacture it and distribute it and stuff like that. He was quite a good guy.
0: It's good to have someone like that on your side.
1: Although I made a big mistake at that apra awards with soul kind of feeling of that year won the most played the gold apra award which back then wasn't televised or anything but now it's you even get on television if you win that
0: oh, so they must be getting a bit short of things to put on television
1: exactly my mistake was you don't know if you are going to win or have to do
0: anything so i had a few glasses of wine
1: because it's free they, and, and they look, bring it around look
0: it's not televised <laughs> tell us about what you oh, did well. to slight gadinsky
1: well, I got up there and had to make a speech and uh, I thanked everybody under the sun, you know, all the band members and all the people and blah. Everyone except Mushroom Records and, and Michael Gudinski I didn't mention them at all. That wasn't a good move, I don't think. Did anyone say, yeah, no one yeah, no no said anything. But uh, the record deal didn't last too much longer
0: after that. Hmm. Could be coincidence perhaps it may be but yeah, yeah it was a stupid move on. i mean i didn't mean i just forgot it's easy enough particularly if you haven't got anything prepared
1: the other funny thing we got on countdown awards back then too but we didn't win but we did a live performance i was the only one on that whole show it was at the entertainment center that actually sang live i remember i had to sing live because we were on countdown a couple of weeks earlier and it was for that song, Gotta Be Wrong, which was the oh, yeah. single after. And there's a bit of harmonica at the end of it. And somehow I didn't quite, in the miming on the show, oh, I didn't well, quite so get that. The ha-
0: started before you had it onto your mouth. Yeah, I didn't have that. Feeling. Every time I find something.
1: I could actually sing and play harmonica live on the countdown awards. And actually, Michael Gadinsky came and complimented me for doing that too. So, oh, yeah. so he's a good
0: guy. Good on you, Michael. <laughs> Sorry uh, for not mentioning Mushroom at the APRA Awards. Though. Maybe you could do the speech now, just do the last part of the speech where you think, here we go. So here we go. We're going back in time to the APRA Awards. What year you reckon it was? 84, 85?
1: 85.
0: And he's pointing to the, uh, the my actual awards is, is up on there the on the wall. 28th of April is actually my birthday. That
1: was a coincidence. Anyway, and last but not least, I'd like to thank the wonderful Michael Gadinski and Mushroom Records for having the courage to take on an unknown act of dynamic hypnotics and putting out our single, which became a huge hit for us and them. Thank you.
0: Hooray! There you go. All the things undone. Any problem that might have been has now been fixed. It's like you've gone back in time you and fixed. It. You might get re-signed. How often are you guys playing around now? You just do a gig every couple of months? What's the story? No, we we did one gig at the ICC when
1: it just opened Good. and played Soul Kind of Feeling, just one song. And oh, OK. So it was a cast of thousands. But these gigs coming up is our only gigs, really. Wow. This is one of
0: those things I'll just speak to the audience directly here. Now, I'm here with Connell Robert Seuss. Now, this guy has been working and sweating in the Australian music industry for decades. The Dynamic Hypnotics have not done a gig in a very long time. The Dynamic Hypnotics are not going to do a gig in a very long time. So if you want to stay at home and watch some show about cooking or home renovation or some other fucking thing you can tape and watch any other time, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> Because if you even got a passing interest in the dynamic hypnotics and that soul kind of sound <laughs> Go to the gig. It will be a lot of fun. It'll be good. You'll see people you haven't seen there for years and you can have fun at their expense because they look older than you. At the very least, that's what's going to happen. Definitely. This might be their only gigs because everyone does other things too. You've got enough time to organise babysitters. There's that excuse gone. You've got enough time to work out that you're not going to go see them again for a long time. So there's that excuse gone. What's the date? 17th of June,
1: Saturday night at the factory in Sydney, in Marrickville. And then the following week, we're doing two gigs: a Friday, the twenty-third, and Saturday, the twenty-fourth of June, at the Memo Music Hall in St Kilda.
0: One of the, my favourites from the eighties was the Hardware Club. That was quite a little, great I, place to get along think, to. Yeah, there was a few singles I heard there for the first time. And was there a twelve-inch for soul kind of feeling? It was.
1: Even HypnoBeat eventually got a 12-inch.
0: How did they get remixed? Did you find a DJ or do it yourself?
1: Well, I didn't have anything to do with it. The first I I had anything to do with was listen to it on my record player. Mark Sido was our manager before he became our manager, was our sound guy. Johnny Topper, who you might know, mm-hmm. he booked us for our first trip to Melbourne. He loved us. He got Mark Sider, I probably knew him because he was doing gigs himself. Mark Sider just, he loved us. He, we just met him there in Melbourne and we did like a week's worth of gigs and he ended up moving to Sydney and becoming our sound man and then we had a couple of shonky managers. Who,
0: Again, no shortage of them in the industry. I think you wouldn't be the only musician that said they've had that <coughs> problem.
1: So what well, mark you've been doing with us all this time and why don't you just become our manager? And we went, OK, and so became our manager and he ended up being involved in doing the remixes
0: for the, the 12-inch mixes for all those tunes. There was a time in the 80s where every band had to release a 12-inch mix of their singles, made not so much because nightclubs wanted to play them. It was kind of like expected that you'd do a remix, even bands that you wouldn't think of as being club acts like Madness. Wings of a Dub was a 12-inch for no apparent reason. <laughs> 12-inch songs came out of nowhere. Was that the feeling, is that people wanted other versions of the song to listen to?
1: That would be the only reason, and more like that where you cut out everything except the drums and the yeah. bass would come in and do yeah. all these things and make it more rhythm-orientated for the discos yeah. and longer.
0: Did Wrong Way to Love, did that also get a 12
1: Yes, that one too.
0: said that it was just you had to do it at what point did you think oh maybe we should stop doing this it's never good to look as if things are going bad you've always got to be as positive as possible but there's a point where you've got to go oh maybe we should not do the band anymore what happened in the dynamics case what happened was we didn't have a record deal anymore
1: but we kept playing and it was going okay but then some of the members left we ended up getting uh, new members we had a pretty good band it was turned mm. into a, from a five piece or six piece we went back expanded to eight or nine piece band with like a horn proper horn section with trumpet trombone and sax percussionist but it was hard feeding all those extra males and touring and it was became a bit of a grind because yeah. like I said we just toured toured for seven years until we stopped
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were a very live act you know how to put on the show there I've seen the way you are on stage you're very likely to burn out carrying on like that yeah I was, I still might burn out. Back
1: then, you know, I used to do all that because, you know, I loved uh, James Brown ever since I saw him on the Tammy
0: show when I was a kid. We're thinking like the younger James Brown doing the the splits and the twirls and you could do a lot of that stuff. Well, I tried to and, you know, (laughs) knock the microphone stand,
1: knock it over and flip it back up with your foot and stuff. And and
0: how many times did it come back and hit you in the mouth?
1: Often. Sometimes it came back, but without a microphone on top of it, which is a bit embarrassing. So be a bit a, that'd be the
0: dub version of the song. It was cool move with the microphone. It flips down, it comes back, you start to sing and no microphone. Then yeah. suddenly that cool move turns around to you groping around like the floor, like you've lost a yeah, contact yeah. lens or something. Where's that microphone?
1: But yeah, that was very embarrassing. And, and sometimes too, if the crowd was close to you up to the stage. You do the microphone thing and... Someone gets shocked because this microphone stand's going to, and they grab it, and then they wouldn't let go. It'd be a big tug of war between me and whoever's holding the microphone.
0: Good entertainment <laughs> might be difficult to see from a few rows back. They like, go, "What is he doing?" When he's, "Oh right, he's just there, pulling back and forth."
1: I still do the microphone stand thing, but. What I'm a bit worried about is
0: the splits. I haven't tried that. The pants are the first thing you've got to worry about. You could pop a hammy without a doubt, but the pants might be able to take the pressure. You had the sexy pants on. Have you got new sexy pants for 2017? I might have to get them. They probably m- mightn't look quite as sexy
1: anymore on me, <laughs> but you get those stretchy ones where they've right. g- got a bit of give. Yeah, the thing should. is, with the splits, it's no good just falling down and just staying down on the ground. You have to slide back up.
0: Yeah. Great if you've got a slippery floor. You should be getting into the, the Pilates. Your flatmate's away at the Pilates now. You yeah. should be getting in there doing that training up for this. I've been thinking of it because every gig I had to do stretching
1: before yeah, the gig as yeah. yeah. if I'm going to play some sporting event, which <laughs> was a bit boring doing that while everyone else is just, you know, what they do before gigs.
0: Funny enough, brass players who need their lungs as much as anyone smoking before a gig. Yeah, that's the yeah, thing that always yeah, amazed right. me, yeah. I yeah.
1: will have to do some stretching and that's another reason you'd have to come for the, these shows because yeah. who knows, I might get down and then they'd have to call an ambulance that's and that's right. the end of it. That's, it. that's the <laughs> end, definitely. The support
0: act, the, the <laughs> popped hammies. Yeah. Some of your other bands you've been in that I might like to play a bit of music from now, just got to mention a couple of them there. You mentioned the Mighty Reapers. The Mighty Reapers, that was a, it sort of came
1: out of the ashes of the version of dynamic hypnotics with a dave brewer who's a great guitarist who still play occasionally but lives over in perth now that was a like a funky blues band easy, Got to release a lot of CDs, all of them got released in the America. I haven't even been there personally but CDs have been there and we got to back up all these US soul blues guys who'd come out back then in the 90s and late 80s. Got to play with some, you know, heroes, people like Hubert Sumlin who was the guitarist for Howling Wolf who came up with all those riffs. Big Jay McNeely sex honker yes.
0: He came out, I had him on the radio show one morning and he, he talked a lot about cooking gumbo. He loved cooking it. He never cooked me any. <laughs> I, I think he was more on a drinking tour of Australia, I think. We made a CD with him to a live all album. Wine,
2: all, that all, that oh, Jerry, all that wine is gone. All that wine is gone. all that wine is gone. All that wine is gone.
0: that have been threats to live musicians in Sydney. The current one is a bit of a lockout laws. Mm. Before that, the whole thing that poker machines came in, because people going to pubs had a different agenda and the pub needed to get people in there and to get people in there, you would have a band on or some sort of music or entertainment where once they got poker machines, well, obviously they would lose a room to the poker machines, which could have been the live venue in Mm. some cases, but they didn't have to try as hard to get people to the pub to earn money. That's right, because then
1: you can lose all your money on the poker machines as well as drinking it, and probably both of those acted well together. The more you drank, the more you thought you could get some more money out of the ATM, and I had one go at gambling during the dynamic How'd hypnotics go? days. Good in the end. Let's face Not... it, the whole band was a gamble. Yeah, what well, that was a gamble, <laughs> but I remember we played at the Gold Coast, Jupiter's Casino, and we went there just... After a gig, and I
0: decided to play roulette wheel. Continental Robert is really taking his nickname to heart here. He wants to be continental. You wanted to be James Bond. You wanted to be continental, James Bond. I did. I thought, uh, play roulette, that's pretty like sexy you know, and people be watching. You know. Did you have a tux on, man?
1: I might have had a suit on. In about five minutes, or maybe even less, I was minus $200 down, you know, back then, believe it or not, our weekly we were on a wage.
0: Would have been about two hundred exactly. It? Yeah,
1: and that paid your rent. That paid everything. Yeah, yeah. paid everything. Yeah, uh, so uh, well, double or nothing. Whoa. Uh, I was shaking, sweating. Like I think I just chose black instead of red or whatever. You, and it came on the right one. So oh. that was my end of my gambling career. I, I think I came out a dollar fifty ahead and staggered out of the Jupiter's Casino back to the safety of my hotel. Well, not my hotel room. I'm, I always
0: had to share with two or three of the other <laughs> band members. And there is your moral lesson <laughs> from Planet Maynard for today. Just think about that, folks. Because that's a lot of money in those days, yes. people. You can hear the soul influences in your song. Is there one particular song that would have influenced Soul Kind of Feeling or Wrong Way to Love? Is there one style or one artist? Like you said, I had a lot of heroes, from
1: blues guys to soul guys. I remember for Soul Kind of Feeling, there's a Solomon Burke song that I just started listening to. I mean, that's a great feel. I want to do a, a song that sounds like that. So I had this little funny little organ. And you my, know idea
0: what the song title was?
1: up-tempo I can't
0: teach it, I not
1: change some some to love
2: And I started and
1: because I can, you know, I'm not a very good piano player. It just went completely haywire to what I wanted to. But <laughs> I accidentally played a couple of chords. That does sound pretty good, you know. By
0: trying to copy one song, you actually came up with a new one.
1: Yeah, I thought the new one, Soul Connerfilling, sounded a bit more like a, an old Curtis Mayfield with one his days in the Impressions, the pre-funk Curtis Mayfield. So- more like a melodic soul tune and I thought wow this sounds like a proper kind of soul song to me so it was a complete accident really just by me putting my finger in the wrong spot a couple of times on the (laughs) keyboard and making a a wrong chord that was actually a good
2: chord.
0: We're under a bit of a time barrier here because there is a flatmate coming home here that Robert shares with. And if you can remember that scene in Pulp Fiction, that scene in Pulp Fiction where uh, Harvey Keitel has got his wife coming home and there's all sorts of hell will break loose. If if I'm still here, when his flatmate gets home, there'll be a lot of trouble, won't there? Yeah, because she's a killer. We've got to clean up the body and do all sorts of things before she gets home. But we do have time to go to (laughs) listeners' Facebook questions. (laughs) That's right. I put out on my Facebook, if you've got any questions for Continental Robert Seuss, oh, that right, right, right. you didn't ever think we'd go out in with Incontinent Robert Seuss.
1: That's an old joke. Well, look, it's an old interview. Some of the band members used to say, well, when you at the end of your career, people be calling you Incontinental Robert. Oh.
0: Yeah, it's getting quite pretty hey, well, close, though. Well, you should have done the James Brown thing and docked the money for saying that.
1: <laughs> for people showing up late... If you're late, you're going to get fined $50 because wow. we began going to do these big gigs and people couldn't be found. It was, in the end, I was the only one ever to be fined. <laughs> what happened to you? I missed the whole gig. This was in the 80s and uh, I was at an airport in Melbourne and we had a gig in Canberra. I got to the airport really early, two hours early, and I started playing Space Invaders. Really? Space Invaders. We got addicted to space. Because like, I was right next to the speaker, they say flight number thing, boarding. I swear there was no announcement. And then I looked up and that flight closed. I went to the ticket place and said, look, I've got to get it. I said, oh, we'll just put you on another flight. I got on the next flight, which was the last one oh. to Canberra. And I, I rang, I said, look, I'm going to be a bit late. Can someone come and get me? And the next thing I know, I'm um, the last in line for where you get your ticket. Then there's a big hullabaloo just before me and they'd overbooked the uh plane oh. so they didn't have any look i'm working i've got to be in canberra and they said look don't worry it'll be all right we'll just have to work a few things out they kept checking whether anyone who works for the airline was on the flight and they take them off
0: hang on i've heard this story before where they didn't drag you onto the plane <laughs> no. against your will they dragged you onto the plane
1: no they closed the door to the oh. And that's not a good sign. They couldn't take anyone off. So I had to ring up and say, listen, I can't make the... G-. And they had to have some jam session instead of a gig there. And So I, I got fine. The Didn't only know. one. No one else would ever take it. because people got late. They came up with some crap excuse. No. And But I guess missing their whole gig, I couldn't get it. Even though I had a good excuse. But the important thing, did you get the highest score on Space Invaders? Probably not. We had this gig in... Wentworthville or somewhere that would, for a month of, we played three sets there, for, and the only thing you could do, they had a Space Invaders machine, we got completely addicted, every member, we'd end up, you know, we'd go and drive from Sydney to Melbourne, to eight or nine hours, ten hours, yeah. and get to the edge of Melbourne like Coburg or somewhere like, and stop at the nearest amusement parlor <laughs> and start playing Space Invaders before going to a hotel or
0: anything. Do you, gang, ever get that thing where you'd, you'd sticky tape a 20-cent piece to a bit of cotton and if you, if you dropped it down enough that, and you could actually touch the lever and activate it and get yourself a whole stack of games? Never thought of that. At Time Zone, we got into that. And did they ever get caught? Uh, no, <laughs> but they would have been finding lots of 20-cent coins in there with a bit of sticky tape on them. <laughs> We've got a few smarty people okay. here that ask some questions. Ridju who is uh, so brave he's got a picture of a dog as his ID. Look at that, look. (laughs) Maybe that's him. There's a dog riding in. It said, who are you? But you've already answered that one on Facebook. You wrote, I'm a millionaire harmonica player. What else have we got here? Neil Hume, and he wants to know, why are you called Continental? You explained that because he was trying to get acceptance, Neil. From an early age, I thought you need some kind of gimmick, some kind of
1: title, some to make you extra Mm. in showbiz.
0: Adam Connor wants to know, have you ever felt intercontinental at all? I've been
1: back to Hungary a couple of times. Hey. Like, yeah, that's intercontinental. And uh, Singapore played oh. there a bit. The Dynamic, the only place we went was
0: New Zealand. Well, you are slightly intercontinental. But if you were called intercontinental, Robert, people would be ringing you up to make bookings. So it's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't mind some bookings that's in the intercontinental. Well, oh, and Frankie Lee, she wrote something about there being two Roberts in the band, Robert Brooks. Two Roberts and is that why intercontinental was the reason? Yeah. Robert. Brooks was in
1: uh, the Rug Cutters which was the band before the Dynamic Hypnotics.
0: Did the Dynamic Hypnotics evolve out of the Rug Cutters? Sort of but it was a good band it was similar
1: like R&B old school you know but Robert Brooks was one of the guitarists there. He also was became the manager of the Dynamic Hypnotics in our maybe our last
0: two months before we all faded no, out. Had you burnt through every other manager in Australia by then, had you? <laughs> We've got to get someone in the band, there's no one left. He was, afraid, he was like. although I haven't seen him since
1: then, really. We just needed someone who's a bit sensible. We are always on tour, so with someone who had
0: telephone. Because not everyone had telephone back then. Here's one from a rock and rollerer. Do you still box? Were you doing boxing for a while, were you? I did. Well, or was it unprofessional, just in the streets?
1: Yeah, it was sort of <laughs> unprofessional, but it was at school, like, not in the street, but in some parks and things. Right. At the the time when Lionel Rose became world champion, and I was in Austin's high school, and everyone wanted to be a boxer all of a sudden. So, I ended up having maybe half a dozen bouts. One in Melbourne when I went to tech there. Being a muser, this
0: would come in handy.
1: I'm glad I never quite had to use that skill. That's good. After those half a dozen bouts, I became a coward. I didn't want to do because I hate being
0: punched in the nose. <laughs> I think if you don't like being punched in the nose, boxing is the thing you should not do. (laughs) Suddenly realize I don't want to do boxing anymore. The Continental Blues Party, is that what you do these days when you're not doing dynamics? Well, that's my main
1: band, and it comes in all different versions. I am the whole horn section on the harmonica. Occasionally do this, the soul kind of feeling review. I get Bruce who is, was the sax player in the Hypnotics, and join him up with my, the Continental Blues party. And we do all the favourites from the Mighty Reapers and the Dynamic Hypnotics tunes. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what the Dynamic Hypnotics did do, which was one of the most crazy gigs, was a private function, somebody's 21st wow. birthday party in the Central Coast. We had a regular gig in Leichhardt at Sonia's. It was in Leichhardt Hotel. Would have been the beginning of the 80s and just go came and said, oh, you want to play this private party and they're lovely people, you'll love it. Ended up, we did it. We are playing in this RSL club or something like that in the Central Coast and we are playing away and the uncle of the person hated us and thought we were too loud, which we were pretty loud. The uncle came up to the guitarist, Andrew Silver, and started complaining to him, blah, 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 then went into the kitchen and pulled the plug out of the whole PA so it's just it was only drumming and going and then Andrew went back and plugged us back in and then we started playing again. and then the guy came back started complaining to him in his face while we were playing and next thing I know he was strangling him. The uncle was strangling the guitarist? Yeah strangling Andrew but much to my amazement he didn't stop playing his tongue started coming out like in the cartoons when someone's getting... It was just like that. Just like Homer's throttling Bart. That's right. The tongue came out. It really happens. And I thought, I better intervene. It was still playing. And I sort of got in between and pushed the guy away a bit. And then next thing I know, I'm getting hit on the back of the head. So I should have been able to use a bit of boxing, but I didn't. (laughs) But there's an all-in brawler PA guy who we didn't even know. We just hired him. He came in and joined in then. We said, that's it, that, you know, it all died down. Let's get out of here. Then we realised, you know, we haven't been paid yet. Even though we had an all-in brawl, we did another set after to make sure we fulfilled our commitments. Wow.
0: Any special guests going to be on stage for this big gig
1: coming up? What we have is the original long-term lineup that played for all
0: those seven years of touring I have no doubt you guys can play probably better than ever. But are you having uh, just one rehearsal to sort of get the cement going between you? Probably be more than one rehearsal. Oh, okay. Like I just got the master song list here.
1: That was our master. It's yeah. got about one hundred and sixty.
0: So, so this would be the one hundred and sixty songs you could play, and you yeah. would, and you'd pair that down to twenty or twenty-five you'd need for a night. We could do like six
1: nights in a row. Without playing the same song twice. That wasn't my claim to
0: fame back then. I'm looking at Fever here. Is that of the uh, version made famous by Peggy Lee with that version?
2: Sun lights up the daytime, moon lights up the night. I light up when you call my name. And you know I'm gonna treat you right, you give me fever.
1: It was a version I had on a record by Buddy Guy, the blues guitar singer, and it was a wild version. I say you give me fever.
2: Fever in the morning, child through the night. Jay, come here, man. I want to do you. I want to hear 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 you. I want to hear
1: you. That was a great even got shout. We did a terrible version of shout out, <laughs> but we didn't do that for very long. But You
2: know you make me wanna stop, kick my heels up and down. throw my hands up and down, throw my head back and stop, come on now, don't forget to say you will.
0: Broke into a reggae beat for a little part of it. The only style of music I've never seen you guilty of is ska, have you ever been into ska? That would be like My Boy Lollipop.
1: I love listening to Scar, but I never played Scar. Seems a bit too furious. I mean, there's some furious soul tunes, especially early
0: James Brown songs. When I think of furious soul tunes, I think of Land of a Thousand Dancers. Yeah, we did that. Song that can easily be played too fast, yeah, easily.
1: And we probably did it too fast, which ended with this. Which every pump I was did the splits
0: <coughs> bang, 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 doing the splits. That's probably the only way to finish. In fact, you couldn't actually do anymore after that, probably. Probably couldn't. In the Tammy show, he did that night train.
1: But the tempo was about four times the tempo of the recorded version. You know, the band could hardly play it, and he was doing the splits and everything, and he went a bit crazy.
0: But it was just such a wild, night dream, boom! I can tell you're really pumped about these gigs. Continental Robert, back in the day, was there a distinct difference between the Melbourne and the Sydney audiences? Melbourne audiences have always been cool, a bit more cultural, a bit more arty. The Sydney people like getting their piss on and having a wild time in the heat. Nothing wrong with both those approaches, but yeah. there's a bit of a difference.
1: I think so, yeah. I think it was a bit hipper in Melbourne. Just generally in the art, where Sydney is well, mainstream, hard sell everything. For example, like the We'd be playing in Sydney. We had a residency at the Sussex Hotel, which oh, yeah, doesn't yeah. exist anymore in mm-hmm. Sussex Street, and we were there, the blues soul band that played there. And the woman, the publican Stella, she got murdered. Anyway, she loved us. We played Monday at night. It'd be $1 to get in, and on a good night we'd make $6 each. Then we went to Melbourne, we played in crowds, everywhere they loved it. It's a different kind of music. Yeah, and like, I, think, a, I think
0: Melbourne, they're a bit more used to going out, partially because the weather's bad, so if you're going to wait till the weather gets better in winter, you'll never go anywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, the pubs were all set up for bands. Yeah, they had PAs yeah. in there, whereas in Sydney you had to drag your own PA. No, and, and everyone dressed to the tee. Speaking of dressing, why do you always wear your sunglasses, even at night, by the way? Well, because, you know...
1: I'm Continental Robert. Yeah,
0: and that's the only answer you have to give. As long as you don't bump into light poles, it's not a problem wearing them well, at night, is it? They are prescription glasses too. Oh, well, there's that. So well, I happens. have to wear
1: glasses, but yeah. when you look at them, they look like dark glasses. Mm. I remember some guy got... A- aggravated with me walking in the street and he grabbed them off my head. Oh. He was a big Islander man. Oh. so oh. And he put them okay. on and he went, he took a, a double take because he just realised he was like what I see without the glasses on.
0: Ah. So he, he put them on thinking, these are just sunglasses. Yeah. No, and they're he, not.
1: He was very nice. He apologetically gave them back to me. He probably thought I was blind, you know, <laughs> which I am sort of semi-blind. So people get aggravated and I can understand you know, anyway the dickhead's
0: wearing the sunglasses. Well, I don't care. <laughs> The answer you gave me is the reason I thought you were wearing them. He's wearing them because he's Continental Robert. Gee, if I could get away with that, I would. But he's Continental Robert. He can get away with it. Most of the time. Actually, you know, a lot of old Hungarian
1: men, I've noticed, they wear sunglasses, maybe because they forget to take them off. And (laughs) I've done that too. And I walk into a place and I I forget I'm wearing them because it, it was daytime when I left home and nighttime when I get somewhere. I'm always wearing the
0: glasses. What's the longest time where you walked out the door to have a night out and the longest time you came back? Were you ever gone for, like, three days? No. I might have been gone for just over
1: 24 hours <laughs> at the most. I get very sleepy and then I sleep, like, for 15
0: hours. Uh, that's part of the reason I wake up 3 yeah. o'clock in the morning. So he gets up in the morning, he puts his sunglasses on <laughs> because there's just a chance there might be daylight somewhere in the house, just <laughs> yeah, somewhere, yeah. and he doesn't want to take that risk. Yeah, I hate that. I think I've got block out curtains most windows now. Have you gone with the alfoil, the Elvis method, putting alfoil all over? i have to try that. Because a- the alfoil also reflects the sun a bit so you don't get the heat coming in that's like you. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a great idea because it gets really hot here. Well, everyone can tell from outside which room is yours because the <laughs> <laughs> but you get the reflected heat out tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, it's all I'm going gonna on go there. get there'll, it. There'll before. be some renovation in the uh, Sousa Land <laughs> bedroom tomorrow. What's one of the most inspiring soul songs that many of us might not have heard? A bit of a rare groove one that you'd like to pick out as going there. This is something that deserves to be heard more of. Oh,
1: you know, but so many. One I love that I've started doing because it's so crazy. People love it. Ramblin' Rose. Love is like a rambling rose. Person I never heard of before. Ted Taylor. It sounds like a nice, sweet love song, but it's a killer.
0: Looking forward to playing the most when you get up there of your two gigs coming up. What's the one that's the lesser known one that's a real favourite of yours? Something that's on the CD, even if it's one of the live ones that people yeah, might yeah. not have heard much from you that you're really into. Junior Walker and the All-Stars, we did a
1: version of Things um, I Do For so. You. He was a Motown artist, but sound like more like a Southern Soul type saxophone player and wild singer. He'd always have a big riff in his song. And this is one of them, love is like a ramble. (laughs) The things I do for you. He also had things like Shake and Finger Pop, which we might do as well. It's another great one, another big riff.
0: of this, where did it come from? The Things
1: I Do For You is on our live album, our original live album. Which is on the new CD. Did you have to remix it a bit for a CD release? All these things have been remastered and they sound amazing remastered.
0: Is the new Dynamic Hypnotics release available on iTunes? It is. Do you wish it had been like that then? The iTunes things? Yeah.
1: I think it's great in a way because back then, there was, especially in the 80s, the record companies became huge, run by people who didn't care about music really much
0: the same as people who run television stations that make money don't care about television
1: i guess so yeah back in the 60s and 70s probably the Mm -hmm. labels like stacks and that was run by people who were just music fanatics then it became people just wanted whatever was already a hit you know something that sounded just like that whereas now people can do their own thing but i'm useless i haven't even got a computer yet
0: how do you spend your time when you're not doing a gig? Do you just play the harmonica here, write some tunes down, have a go on the keyboard? What do you do? I do things like that, mixed in with watching a lot of TV. And I still try and go down the park and play soccer. Oh, just later tonight, after Fiennes' interview, you're going to go off and play a bit of the harp with a friend down the road in the cafe yeah, in King's Cross? I do that a lot.
1: And like I said, I've got my band, still do a lot of gigs, play with other combos too. Like, say, last week I didn't have any gigs, but by
0: Wednesday I got booked for three gigs oh, for look. Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Way so to, it comes out of the blue. you go, <laughs> Can you give us a couple of notes on the piano? This is course we're in the Sousa land. Is this the Mighty world? It's uh, What do you call this? This is an amazing piano that my flatmate, she found it in <laughs> the street. It's just on a pile of oh. garbage. Give us a couple of notes on the garbage phone That's pretty good. It wasn't supposed to be, but like I tell you,
1: things come out different when I try and play. So
0: how do you write the stuff? Because you don't do anything electronically. There, are you trying to write just chords and remember how it yeah, sounded? Well, Yeah, I can write chord charts, but I can't read music. In my heyday... It's called that because he'd walk down the street and people would go, hey, <laughs> yeah. why are you wearing sunglasses? <laughs> are you tempted to try any new tracks for the gigs coming up? No. I mean, it's going to be tough enough rehearsing all the old tracks. It'll be great, by the way, I'm only joking. This is a guy with decades of live experience under his belt and everyone else that's playing with him. You will not hear a bum note on the night. I hope not. And if anyone in the band isn't there, it's 50 bucks. That's right,
1: it's $50 fine for a bum note, so they're all cheapskates. Everyone will be trying their best. I think even bum notes... Sometimes sound good, and sometimes if you, if you hit a bum note, if you just keep playing that bum note, people think, oh, well, you know, that's what he meant to do, and it's just like sort of
0: free-form jazz. <laughs> in Sydney and we'll see you in Melbourne on those dates and we'll go out with that live track that you picked from your CD which is available now on iTunes and in an actual CD and if you buy it it's actually got Dynamic Hypnotics artwork that you can put up on your wall in the CD That's right and it's the guy
1: who used to do our original artwork way back in the 80s, Simon O'Leary he was, he was my buddy because I used to work with him for a while at Hanna-Barbera Cartoon Company
0: Did you draw Penelope Pitstop? The
2: Harold of Penelope
0: Stop! I'll get you, Penelope, pet No, I did, but I did Undercover Elephant. You are just making that up, Uh, No, no, That's that's not a real thing. Undercover fucking elephant. Here's the nearest telephone pole, Undercover. The nation's
2: most sophisticated experimental aircraft, the X-3000, has been stolen by the notorious
0: spy, Baron von Rippemoth.
2: So, Undercover Elephant is hot on my trail, eh?
1: Undercover Elephant was a elephant that it was a detective and had a disguise of a, a little mask that he wore, so he couldn't tell he was undercover elephant. And what was the other one? The Robonic Three Stooges, which was a cross between the Three Stooges and the Bionic Man, which is like a hit show back then. Yes. And, you know, this was back in the wow. 70s still.
2: Built from the world's finest electronic parts,
1: designed to
2: be the world's most perfect electronic robots.
1: The Hanna-Barbera, they did what it was called limited anim- animation, oh, which was a cheap...
0: Uh, so you were doing in-betweening? I was the in-betweener, which I tell you, that undercover elephant nearly killed me. <laughs> the main artist would do the main drawings and That's the in-betweening right. would make the drawings to go from frame to frame when they got photographed. You were drawing a lot of trunks back in those days.
1: Yeah. You got paid per foot of film when you were in-betweener. This was a scene with undercover elephant in his sports car... And the car took off because the car could
0: fly as well. And I never watched the actual show because they were on early in the morning. Oh yeah. Saturday morning cartoons means nothing to Continental Robert. No. When? What? Saturday no. <laughs> Saturday doesn't have a morning. No. Saturday morning is just late Friday night for him. <laughs> this whole scene was
1: worth about twenty bucks. You have to take it to the animator who drew, drew the main and he'd check it like flipping the papers. Here's a French guy, Jean Tish. I'll never forget him. I oh. hope he's not listening, but he was a bastard. No, 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 do that. No, that's no. do that. Hello, everyone. Anyway, it took me a week for to get this 20. He kept sending me back. And then once a month, they'd show you the rushes. So I couldn't wait to see this scene that took me all that time to do And you know, it was so good. I drew everything exactly. And it came to the scene and it just went, that's how long it took. So I could have drawn anything. You know, he was just a bastard. He wanted to send me back and do more. <laughs> I know he was a, just
0: like a sadist. And that is why Continental Robert to this day has an unending hatred of the French. I hate the... F- no, well, not <laughs> all the French, but this one
1: French animator. Hello, everyone! Plus, that's why I'm wearing glasses at this stage too.
0: Because yeah, he was doing all this in-betweening on Undercover Elephant and the, the yeah. Robotics Three Stooges.
1: Because all day long you're looking at a light box to mm. do all your drawings and then you look up and it takes take you about ten minutes to focus on anything... I blame the animation
0: industry, Jean Tiche, for my shades. Can you remember what was going on on stage when this song was being recorded? Were you really concentrating on the recording? So pretty frazzled. because so we just f- went to Melbourne, got off the plane, got to the gig, did
1: our sound check for 30 seconds, eh? Then we were on stage doing
0: it and then go back to Sydney. Continental Roberts, where can we find you online? Actually, just got a... Or website, is that, that's what. Look, he's just discovered the magic window that's in the computers, people, and that's where he lives sometimes. Uh, What's the address of it? ContinentalRobert.com.
1: The Dynamic Hypnotics have got a dynamichypnotics.com and
0: they've got all the details where you can get tickets for the gig. Or you can check out Maynard.com.au where everything with this story will have all the links under it. Robert just mentioned. Is there any information you want to get out to the public?
1: I'm going to start practising the splits
0: maybe in a week. At home there, lay down your money on the hamstrings. Can you do three in a row? We'll just find out at the Sydney gigs and hopefully there'll be some left for the Melbourne. Yes, but gamble responsibly. Gamble Gamble responsibly. responsibly. Dramatic chord.
1: That's a horror chord. (laughs) I feel like someone has just lost all their money.
0: Oh, no, that man with the sunglasses has lost all his money.
2: You are a normal. I'm in love with you By the way that I will And with my money on
0: What are you? Are you? Bryson and Hugh.